Hey, you want to make great money, right? Well, here's a really cool opportunity I want to share with you. Driving with Uber. Uber is that popular smartphone app that connects riders with drivers. I take Uber a bunch. I love them. And in chatting with the different drivers, some of them have really interesting stories. It shouldn't come as much of a surprise that many of them are aspiring musicians, actors, and writers just like me. If only Uber had been around when I was starting out, it really would have been a help. I mean, they get to be their own boss. They earn great money. It's easy to start. You just need a car and a license. Driving with Uber offers amazing flexibility, which rocks when you're a struggling entertainer. And parents, this is a really easy way to work around your family's busy schedule. Students, you can make some extra money between classes. How perfect is that? Now's the prime time to cash in driving with Uber. You'll thank me for telling you how to get paid every week, and I won't even take a commission. You're welcome. Hey, you never know. I could be getting into your car when you drive with Uber. It could happen. You got a car and a license, put them both to work for you and start earning serious, life-changing money today. Sign up to drive with Uber. Visit drivewithuber.com. That's drivewithuber.com. Drivewithuber.com. Let's play. You know, none of us stink is being made about the airline industry. They make me nuts. They run roughshod over the people who pay their salaries, who make their business. They treat the flyers like their cattle. And we are just there for their use or misuse. And to abuse misuse and abuse. And that we're just, we're at their beck and call and they really, a cattle is the best way to describe what they do. And what's going on with the baggage, baggage handling, uh, extra charges, extra fees, pricing, uh, the, the monopoly that's building is just mind-numbing to me. And we hear about it in the news and we hear about it, you know, people talk about it. But nobody's doing anything to stop it or make it any better. Why am I, what's got me going on? Well, what set me off for the gazillionth time is Delta, one of my least favorite airlines. Delta's got a lot of uh, uh, names for their, is it called anachronism? I think that's the wrong word. But, you know, uh, Delta, don't expect luggage to arrive. Uh, That's, you know, there's another one out there. But, uh, you know, I've, I've had lost luggage. What's got me set off is um, the other day I was traveling and I had two extra bags. Uh-oh. Check in. Two extra pieces of luggage to check in. Now, I have checked in extra luggage with other airlines and often they let it slide. Often. Not Delta. No, not Delta. Um, they, uh, uh, they took the bags and Without even, not based on weight or size, the woman 
sheepishly embarrassed. She literally said, I'm embarrassed to say this. $350. right? This, these were one bag. uh, First of all, they didn't weigh them. Okay, they don't go by weight. I thought extra bags or cubic feet for that matter. I thought the issue with extra bags is, you know, uh, the extra weight for the plane causing extra gas or possibly extra uh, the size of the bag taking up extra room. Uh, There should be some system for charging, but they have a blanket system. And these two bags, because I I had I already had my carry on uh, were a um, well, one of them was uh, literally a carry on size bag that you could have put in the overhead bin acceptably. In the overhead bin. Not like some of this stuff that some people are putting in the overhead bin, mind-numbing what people are putting in the overhead bin, you know. Uh, you know, some people come on those planes. That's that's something that needs to be stopped. I mean, people coming in with their entire, all of their luggage, you know, in a quote-unquote carry-on, filling up the entire damn space over the seats. So if you don't get there first, there's basically no room for your bag. Because they've got, because they don't want, they don't want to have to wait for their luggage. Which you know what, I partially understand, because it's so nightmarish sometimes. But anyway, going back to the the charge from Delta, three hundred fifty dollars. One bag was an overhead bag. It was an overhead bag, one of those bags that you could slide in the long way, you know, so the handle faces out, wheels wheels in, handle out. So talk about a normal size of bag. The other one is the foam foam. Studio that I'm I'm using right now when I'm on the road to record these shows. It is made of foam. It is a triangular shaped bag, odd shape, yes, not as big as a regular suitcase, but it is made of foam. It weighs under five pounds. Three hundred and fifty dollars. I was just in the news the other day that the airline industry in the last, in the first, I think, quarter, I could be wrong, but it was like quarter or half of the year had made like $3 billion profit from the new charging for the uh, extra bags, you know, extra bags. I checked in uh, four tickets on United for my family, four tickets and they charged me for one extra. Each person had a bag. We were only allowed three bags for four people. I don't even understand that concept. United. Going to figure out an acronym for you. Um, but it's, it's, you know, Delta is, the reason Delta is, is, is a frustration to me and one of my targets is because they are taking over the world. Virgin Atlantic and Virgin America used to be my favorite airlines. But now they've partnered with Delta. So when I book on Virgin, who is, is una- I think, unanimously, people who fly Virgin say it's their favorite airline, I find myself on a Delta flight. They partner with them. So like, here's another example of the airlines treating us like cattle. You book one airline, and they decide that you're going to go on their partner's airline, who you don't like. And both names are on the ticket. I mean, it's just the the way they... Uh, okay, now, have you heard about this one? Like, the other day, my bass player didn't make a show because 
a flight was grounded due to mechanical problems. Now, I've heard from people on the inside, people well on the inside, that when a flight isn't full and they can't, one thing they do is downgrade the equipment. So like uh, the other day, uh, my wife and, and, and family were flying from L.A. to uh, Yellowstone and um, they got stuffed in this little plane. Clearly, it was. I were told they had a bigger plane originally, but it wasn't enough people, so they downgraded the plane to a smaller plane. So they flew there three hours, you know, cramped in this little plane with the grandkids screaming and crying, and you know, a no reclining seats and and all that kind of stuff. Ticket price did not change, mind you. There was no adjustment in the price. Far be it from any airline to say, hey, you know what? We didn't give you what you ordered, so here's some money back. Yeah, right. Okay, but when they can't downgrade the plane, change the equipment, this is a, this is a fact, okay? I have heard this from people inside. They claim mechanical problems and cancel your flight. Cancel. So they can cram you on another flight at their convenience because, you know, and I understand they don't want to fly uh, half-empty planes or partially filled planes, that, you know, it's not cost-effective for them, but that's why they call it gambling. The house doesn't always win. The house wins most of the time, but not always. Sometimes we get an extra seat next to us with nobody in it. Isn't that lovely? It happens rarely. But we, you know, but we roll the dice. You know that feeling when you're flying and the seat in the middle is empty? How great you feel as you watch everybody walking by and you're, you're like, you're holding your breath because the plane's filling up and the seat next to you is empty. And you get that knot in your stomach. Is it going to be empty? Is it going to be empty? And then sometimes some dude shows up and the size of a house and crams his ass, fat ass, into the, between the uh, seats and spills over into yours. That's the way it usually goes. But once in a while, once in a while, we win. We get that free seat. We feel so good. But not if Delta and company can have anything to say about it. They'll just cancel the flight. It doesn't matter where you had to go or where you had to be. We have mechanical issues. My ass. My ass. I'm all about, you know, hey, you got genuine mechanical problems? Safety is a priority. People whining and complaining, they're fixing something. Really? You want them to fly with, you know, something broken? No. And you know what? When it's mechanical problems, for real, they delay. Okay, they delay. When it's mechanical problems that are bullshit, that's when they cancel the entire plane. Because they they have mechanics on site. When you're at LAX, that's where my guy was, my bass player was flying from. And they... They can't fix the plane. One of the biggest airports in the world, a major hub for Delta. They can't fix it. My ass. My ass. Fucktards. So, uh, you know what? We need to rise up. Really. People need to just, you know, we're not going to take it. Use that song liberally. I've had all I can stand, and I'm not going to take it anymore. You remember that network? Yeah. Rock that. I mean, but they, they, uh, but things like, you know, 
last call for the plane. So you want to sit and you don't want to like wait on that long line going in there. So they start frantically paging you because you're sitting, you're checked in. They're not going anywhere without you. You know what it's like. You've seen them. They go nuts because they can't leave with a bag on the plane that a passenger is not attached to. I've seen that happen. They stop the flight, have to go through all the luggage and pull that luggage off the plane. Still, they'll repeatedly page you at a last call, doors closing. Then they start calling by name. Mr. Snyder, Mr. and Mrs. They start calling who's there. So you get there and they're like, we were waiting for you. Oh, you're waiting for me. Oh, my God. The plane's, the plane's not taking off because I'm not there. Oh, my God. And then I check, walk in, and the people are backed up onto the skyway. There's a long line. These fucktards just don't want to have to deal with waiting for you. They just want to stuff you in there like they do in Japan. You ever see Japan with the, uh, with the subways? They literally in Japan have stuffers. People who push bodies onto the train, pack them in like sardines. No joke. Guys who stand on the platform, and when the doors open, they physically push the bodies in, cramming them in until it's packed to the the rafters. I, 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 I can't even explain the Japanese. So, they, you know, this is where they have machines that give out young panties, women's panties that have been soiled in machines on the street. Yeah, they have those too, by the way. Japan, I don't know what's going on there. It's something in the water. Probably radioactivity from Hiroshima. But be that as it may, the airlines need to be reeled in. They need to be cracked down on. They need to be told, cut the shit. We are paying your salaries We are your pride and joy. The customer is always right. Don't treat us like animals. Don't be disrespectful to us. Appreciate, respect us, treat us better. I see some airlines, like JetBlue, load in from the front and back. Why not everybody? Load in from the front and back. It's simple. Make it happen. I usually like to start with something humorous, but I don't know, without feeling humorous today. I just, uh, you know, and, you know, $350 for two little bags. Please. And I've been in Europe with other airlines. They weighed them and then told me the cost based on weight. Not Delta. Don't expect to be treated decently. I know that doesn't Delta numbers, but letters, but, you know, you get my point. All right, look. um, Today's show is going to be a bit of a motivational one. Um... I think you'll, uh, I, I, well, I'll get into it, but, you know, I was in a convenience store in, in uh, where was I? I was in, oh, oh, Bozeman, Montana. And, you know, I like to fly under the radar, and, you know, I, I do a lot. I get recognized a lot, but, you know, I, I, I've, I've learned, you know, dress down, put the hat on, you know, just go about your business and people don't, well, we've talked about how people are, uh, seem to expect me everywhere, but I still manage to float around. Uh, they still expect the rock star to have a big entourage and I just like roll around by myself in my jeans and t-shirt and my baseball cap. Um, for most part, people don't suspect that uh, the lead singer of Twisted Sister or, you know, guy from TV, reality TV is in their store. So uh, I overheard something that sort of got me thinking that maybe you people need a pep talk. New York City, 1960s, 
Prostitution, illegal gambling, and after-hours clubs were a part of the scene. It was called Fun City since everyone was having a good time and no one was getting hurt. The gangsters were making money and the cops were taking a cut. Enter the Public Morals Division. They were the city's landlords. If you wanted to be in business, you had to pay the rent. But the younger generation of mobsters was coming of age. And these guys wanted more money, more power, more respect. The line that separated the good guys from the bad was about to snap. It's New York City like you've never seen it and a story that's never been told. From creator Edward Burns, don't miss the series premiere of TNT's Public Morals. Tuesday, August 25th at 10, 9 central, only on TNT. So, I'm in this convenience store in Bozeman, Montana. I've got a, you know, I'm, I'm laying over uh, for a night before I flew out here, as a matter of fact, to Milwaukee, uh, Wisconsin, where I am for a festival, Hair at the Fair, I believe it's called. A whole bunch of hair bands, a whole bunch of my old pals uh, are performing tonight, and I'm here doing a solo show. And uh, you know, I'm 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 looking for some items, and I see, hear a woman go, beleaguered woman say, "Hey Johnny, how you doing?" And Johnny replies, with dripping with sarcasm, "You know, just living the dream." And she uh, chuckles knowingly. <laughs> she says, "Yeah, me too." And I look at Johnny and whoever this other woman is, and they're in their 30s. They're not, you know, dead by any means. They're not, it's, life's not over for them. But clearly, by their tone and by their attitude, they have given up. They've given up hope. And I hear this all the time. I hear People walking around and, and, and to me or just overhearing conversations. And there's these negative phrases that people say day in and day out, reinforcing negativity within themselves. You know, uh, people say, how you doing? And what's the normal response? Okay, not bad, so-so, you know, or living the dream. Yeah, right? But then there's these other ones that people just are constantly repeating. When things go wrong, just my luck. One of those days. Same shit, different day. You know, oh, there's Murphy's Law. You know what Murphy's Law is. If anything, what can go, something can go wrong. I don't even know what Murphy's Law is because I refuse to acknowledge it. But the idea that that whatever the worst case scenario is going to be, it's going to happen to you. And people go, you know Murphy's Law, you know, so what else is new? Accepting, usually using a phrase, except when, when people say, you know, uh, you know, um, yeah, your check didn't arrive, so what else is new? Uh, the plumber's late, so what else is new? You know, the TV show's not on, so what else has been preempted, so what else is new? It's just like kind of like expecting, people expecting the worst to happen. And if it wasn't for bad luck, I'd have no luck at all. Famous line from a song. People seem to live by that one. 
Well, I need to share a secret with you. And it's not a secret, but it seems that people don't know. And those that already know what I'm about to share uh, can always use a refresher. You can always, I'm a Tony Robbins droid. Those who know Tony Robbins, he's a motivational coach and really helped me a lot, even though I was pretty motivated beforehand, but he reinforced. It was, it was with discovering Tony Robbins was reinforcing what I already knew because we need to, especially when things are going tough, we need to be reminded the truth, the reality of, of the world, the reality of how things are and how things can be. Look, we live in a world where people want to discourage positive thinking, where we're constantly told that dreams don't come true. Dreams can't come true. And I was caught in that vortex myself for, for a number of years when I was younger. I was on the Penn Gillette's uh, podcast. I think it may be airing, it just aired or airing this week or uh, very soon. Somebody, somebody tweeted the fact that I was going to be on there. Uh, I recorded it a while ago when I was in Las Vegas. But um, Penn came to see me perform for the first time. Uh, I was with Twisted Sister in Las Vegas, the Hard Rock. And Penn's a good friend. We've known each other for many years. He's never seen me do what I do. And he lived in Vegas. The band was going on late. He kind of had no reason why he couldn't be there. And Penn said, yeah, I'll come down. You know, he, it was after we went on after his show was over. Um, and he said, I'll come down. And he he told me that, he went down, this is when I'm on the show, you hear him talk about this, but he says he went there thinking he knew what I was about, thinking he knew uh, what I did. He'd seen some videos, uh, he'd seen me, you know, uh, perform on The Celebrity Apprentice and a, cha- uh, and a challenge, you know, and he said, you know, I kind of know what these about. And, he, you know, he came down out of obligation. He's a friend and he felt like, well, I've never, these come to see me perform. I've never seen him perform. Let me go down. But he said to me, he says, I figured I was going to see, you know, a B. You know, a, you know, a typical rock and roll show, typical performer, you know, average kind of guy. And I'm paraphrasing, but what he said was, I was nothing of the sort. He was literally blown away. Him and his crew were stunned by my level of intensity, my performance ethic, my style, my 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 command, my all the things. And again, you know, I'm not really known for those things. Most of you do not know. Most of you, like Pendulette, have seen the videos, you've seen a couple of things, but you've never seen me live. Those who have seen me in concert know the truth. I am blowing my own horn here, but it's for the for the effect, the sake of the show. That um, I am, I am a one percenter. There are a few frontmen out there who perform at my level, command an audience at my level. There's a few, but people, for the most part, don't know that. And Penn went on to to say that he will tell his children about D. Snyder. I mean. 
Okay, that's a little mind-numbing, actually. Uh, I mean, the idea that he was, you know, that that he was so impressed that he would tell his young children about D. Snyder's performing, but it went beyond that, and this got to be a little bit of a an unintended backhanded compliment or backhanded insult. And he wasn't trying to insult me, but. The truth of it is, it, it's a little insulting when, when, when it came down to it. He said, Jim Morrison of the Doors had everything. He had looks. He had talent. He had an amazing voice. Physically, a, 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 physically a specimen of manhood. Yet he only performed at 20% of capacity. He never really exploited the gifts he was given. Now, those of you who are Doors fans say, well, I, I don't know if I agree. No, it, you know, if you read about Jim, if you look into him, um, you know, what he did, he did effortlessly. He wasn't really working at it. He, you know, uh, uh, you know so, I mean, and I'm a Doors fan. I, 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 you know, I love Jim Morrison. I think he's, you know, not a huge influence, but certainly, um, although I did – Get into a little Morrison on my new track, uh, To Hell and Back, which is still available for free, by the way, people. Um, not enough people are downloading it. I think the next step I'm going to say is I will pay you to download it. How's that for the new world of, 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 uh, of music? Now, that's going to be the next level from free downloads to the bands pay people to download the songs. Um, anyway, it's free. Go to my website, dsnyder.com or it's, it's all over the internet. But, uh, anyway, um, so Jim Morrison, was effortless in what he did. So I get now I know waiting for the other shoe to drop. And Penn said, "You, on the other hand, were not given all those things. You were not given the looks, or the natural ability, or the uh, or, or you were not a specimen." <laughs> oh, but it's true. But it's true. Yet you. And I'm paraphrasing, have forced and, and, and demanded yourself to become great. You worked and slaved and pushed and refused to accept what you've been given. And I took the scrawny body that I was given and I have molded it into something far better. I took the voice I was given Although I actually technically do have a really good voice, but uh, I've sang classical music for a long time. But still, I took that and forced it to do more. And given my looks, I made them work for me. Given my hair, I made it work for me. Everything I was given where, you know, Jim had 100% and we used 20%. I was given 20% and forced it. To be a hundred percent, and this is true. But where it comes from is a realization at about sixteen years old that I was falling into a hole, for lack of a better word. I, I was, I was, I was accepting basically what I had been born to, 
We're all dealt a hand at birth. And our future seems to be predetermined for us based on our, our I don't know, our, you know, our genetics, based on our place in the world, based on our economics, now, by, you know, finan- our, our family's finances. And we're, we're basically defined from the day we're born as to what we're going to be. And no one's born thinking they want to spend their lives just getting by in a dead-end job or doing something they have no passion for, right? Every young kid, before they get crushed by the world, before they're told, no, they cannot, you ask them what they want to be. And yeah, sometimes they aspire, aspire to be a, you know, I want to be a fireman or I want to fly a plane or I want to do something like that. You know, yeah, there's some of those. But mostly... People aspire to greatness, you know, or at least being special. They want to be an athlete, professional athlete, a movie star, a rock star, something special. Little kids don't say, yeah, I want to live a life of mediocrity. Yeah, I want to be middle class. Yeah, I want to just get by. Yeah, I want to just, you know, I just want to work at a job where, you know, I'll get a pay, steady paycheck, but I'll have, I'll have, I'll have no life. I don't want to be, I'm in a loveless, hopeless life. No. Every kid wants to be special. In my early years, I'm, I'm in a hotel room here in Milwaukee, so there's a lot of noise in the background as usual. My early years, I want to be, I knew I wanted to be a rock star from the day the Beatles appeared on the Ed Sullivan show. I wanted to be a rock star. Yet from the moment that was 1964, I'm nine years old. I know what I want to be. And from the moment I decided I wanted to be more, I wanted to be special, I felt the weight of my birthright weighing me down. Because my, my limitations, economically, physically, on all levels, being defining me. And trying to stop me from, from doing more, from being more. And I've con- even though I was constantly in bands or constantly trying to get going, it was all bullshit little stuff, you know, you do when you're in elementary school and even junior high school. By the time I got to high school, I could feel myself being pushed into the background. I wasn't popular. I didn't. I had friends, but I didn't have, I wasn't in any clique or group. I didn't fit in. And I, I, as I've talked about before, I was basically invisible, you know, I, I, to, the, to the world. And I was slowly fading into the background because a no clique would take me in, in, in their group. I, had, I was a man, what do they call those people in India? The untouchables? <laughs> in India, there's a caste system, uh, untouchables are the lowest form of life. I basically didn't fit with anybody, so I just sort of was alone with a couple of my friends in my world, in my dream world. But I felt myself disappearing. And at 16 years old, I remember it very clear, I just said no. I refuse to accept this. 
At 16, I was already hearing from my parents how I should take the civil service test. And, you know, and, and my father would, you know, so you have a secure job. And, and I kept hearing things about, you know, uh, re- getting a regular gig. And what was like at 16, what are you going to do with your life? You know, because I was already showing I wanted to be a rock star. But my father was shitting down upon me because dreams don't come true. And stop being an a- idiot. What did, what did Howard Stern's father say to him? Stop being an idiot, you moron. But I I heard that endlessly. I was already being told, forget it. There's no escaping. You're not going to be something special. What, What makes you think you're special? Dreams don't come true. Stop living in a dream world. Accept your, accept your lot and start acting your birthright. Just, just, you're not special. You're, you're nobody. Really, this is the kind of messages that I felt I was getting. And I refused to accept that. And by myself, alone, singularly, I decided that I was going to change that. First of all, I was going to stop any negative thinking at all. I was going to create my own Self-fulfilling prophecy. I call it PMA, positive mental attitude. I would think positively, never allow those phrases like just my luck or, you know, or uh, one of those days or, uh, you know, or, or, you know, you know, living the dream, all that negativity. I would remove that from my vocabulary. Those words would never come out of my mouth. I would refuse to accept negative thought. I would refuse to wallow in negativity. I would refuse to, when things went wrong, I would refuse to accept that as the way things were meant to be. When things went wrong, a thing went wrong. And I would not say that, that just accept that, oh, it's going to be one of those days or this is just the way it is and just accept falling down that rabbit hole. I would positively reinforce things in my mind. And it started very simply. You know when people say, how you doing? How you doing? People go, okay, so-so, not bad. No, that wasn't good enough. I said, excellent. How you doing? Excellent. How you doing? Awesome. That little message to myself, I'm insane since I was 16 years old. And when you respond like that, people look at you like, what? Because they don't hear that. People don't say that. And I've been saying excellent and awesome since it wasn't true. And I'm here to tell you now, it is. I am excellent. I am awesome. I have fulfilled, self-fulfilled my own prophecy. If I state it, it will be. Just like you heard in the past, I started telling people from a young age, I'm going to be a rock star. And I kept saying I'm going to be a rock star. And as much as I was mocked and ridiculed and told it wouldn't happen and humiliated for that belief, for that openness, that confidence, daring to say I would be more. I stuck to it. And it came true. It didn't come true just by sitting there and saying it. Of course, you got to work at it, okay? 
But PMA, people, I am telling you, positive mental attitude. Start that. Uncle D's here to tell you. And my father, he mocked the hell out of me for this. I told him about PMA. Big mistake. Just like telling the workers at the department store I want to be a rock star. Big mistake. Well, every time things went wrong, he would go, hey, PMA, D, PMA, positive mental attitude. He would take every chance he could to mock me for wanting to be more. And why? I'll tell you why. I mean, and this applies to the outside world in general. Everybody has a dream. As I said, when you're little, you don't dream of being, uh, you know, just mediocre. You don't dream of mediocrity. You don't dream of getting by. You dream of greatness. Everybody does. But at some point, people give up on that dream. It's crushed. My dad wanted to be a professional baseball player. And he was good. But he gave it up. Because he had to work at his dad's store. He gave up too easily. And he, you know, became a cop, insurance salesman, you know. And, uh, but he gave up on his dream. So he had his dream, and he had to give it up. So who the hell am I to think that I could have a dream? Who the hell am I to think that I could, you know, succeed where he failed? And that's everybody out there who's putting you down. And friends and family, I've been, I have had, I've told you, I think in a prior, in, in, in a previous show, I had one person, Willie Hauser, besides Suzette, by the way, who's always stood by me. One person who uh, who n- did not naysay me. Otherwise, everybody else in the world told me, forget it. It's not going to happen. Try to discourage me. You know, uh, Howard Stern uh, once said to me, we were talking, and I said, you know, what is the deal when you talk to people about how great things are going, their eyes glaze over? He said, D, people would rather share in your misery than your success. They'd rather hear about how bad things are going than how well things are going for you. He says, that's because when, things, when you're doing well, it reflects on them that they are not. It makes them feel bad about themselves. This is the key to reality TV. People don't rewatch these losers on reality TV because they want to be like them. Now, there might be some, but in a lot of cases, it basically just makes people feel better. Watching Jerry Springer or Maury or whatever and seeing these people on these shows makes people feel better about saying, well, at least I'm not as bad off as them. That's terrible. People should be happy for other people. People should cheer each other on, not discourage. Now, my belief is that everybody is capable of greatness. Everybody has something to offer. I truly believe this. Well, people, everybody has a good idea. What do they say? A broken clock could be right twice a day. Everybody, some more than others, but everybody is capable. But we are raised by people who either reinforce our limitations or decide what our path is, decide where our ceiling lies. You get parents like mine who tell you you can't do more. And then there are some parents there who say, you're going to be a doctor. You're going to be a lawyer. 
You know, they, they tell you, yeah, yeah that's going to be a, you're, you're going to be special. You're going to go with the politics or whatever. But they're deciding, not you. They're telling you what you're going to do, who you're going to be. And that's not acceptable either. People need to choose their own path. People need to say this. People need to say that this is what I want to do with my life. And they need to be encouraged, nurtured, told, yes, you can. That's what I do with my kids. I have one who's an aspiring director, one who's a, a writer, comedian, uh, actor, another one uh, who's, a, uh, who's a musician, a comic book writer. And another one, my daughter, she wants to be a film producer. She wants to be in the business end. But all my wife and I have to say is, you can. That's the job of the parents. That's the job of friends. That's the job of people who care about you. You know, somebody tweeted, said, who was your biggest inspiration or what was your biggest inspiration? And I know they wanted to hear a band or a person. And I said, I thought about it. And you know what came to my mind? Naysayers. Naysayers are my biggest inspiration. People who told me I couldn't. I use that negativity to drive me forward. And you should too. Anger is an awesome motivator. Get pissed off. Get mad. Especially if you're being discouraged. Especially if you're being told you can't. Stand the fuck up and say, yes, I can. And prove them wrong. Now, Chris Rock, I've quoted a few people here because they deserve it, had a great quote in one of his comedy specials. He talked about a job versus a career. He says, if you get a job, you will be watching the clock every day, counting the minutes like you were in school. Remember in school, watching the way the class end, that misery you felt? Every day, you'll be counting the days as they go by, and you will be miserable. If you have a career, and the difference between a job and a career, a career is something you want to do, something you feel passionate about, something you care about. I promise you, you will not know where the time goes. You will not know where the day went. You will not know what happened to the week. Not the week, W-E-A-K, W-E-E-K. The, 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 the days of the week will blend together because you love what you're doing. It's not work. It's a passion. It's a career. Think about that. Think about what you're doing. Think about your choices. Think about the importance of doing something that makes you want to get up in the morning, not makes you hate life. You know, here's a sad reality. You've heard of Glory Days? There's a song by Bruce Springsteen, Glory Days. It's about people who live in the past and look back on the past like it was the best time of their lives. It's not to say that you didn't have great times. But if you're looking back saying those were the good old days, check yourself reevaluate say what am i doing why should the past be the best i am my biggest success 
in the 80s. No doubt about it. I look back on those days fondly, proudly, but they aren't the best days. Best days are right here. I am having a better time now than I did back then. I am enjoying life more now. I am happier now. I'm more excited. I'd rather talk to you about the new things I'm working on that haven't done squat than go over again for that billionth time about past successes. Again, love my past. Happy for it. But I'm not living there. Why should your best days be in the past? Living in the past is another form of reinforcing, reinforcing negativity. The good old days is just saying to yourself that the best has passed. The be- my best days are gone. Bullshit. You can change this. And I'm going to tell you how. You've been scouting players for your season-long fantasy football team for months. Well, you can put that knowledge to the test every week at DraftKings.com, America's favorite one-week fantasy football site, where you could start the season by winning $2 million in one week. Say what? It's the biggest fantasy football contest ever. $10 million of prizes are up for grabs, including $2 million for first place and $1 million for second. You hear me? I hear you. One-week fantasy means no season-long commitments. It's fantasy football on demand. You can play where you want, when you want, with the players you want. Is this a great country or what? I'm telling you, you've never experienced football like this. Just pick your players, pile up the points, and pick up your cash. That's it. Ka-ching. This isn't fantasy as usual. This is DraftKings. Welcome to the big time. They ain't effing around. A few preseason games to go before the regular season kicks off, so hurry to DraftKings.com now and use promo code SNYDER, that's S-N-I-D-E-R, to play free to win your share of the $10 million being given away week one. Enter SNYDER for free entry now at DraftKings.com. That's DraftKings.com. You know, I see people everywhere on their mobile phones, everywhere. So it makes sense a company like True Car would come along and create a mobile app that makes buying a new car simple and fun. I do loves me my apps. While I was out at the Sturgis Motorcycle Rally in South Dakota, I used my radar app to track coming storms so I could avoid getting caught in them when I was out riding through the Black Hills. Amazing. So how cool is it that True Car came up with an app to make car buying easier? You just download the True Car app, configure the car you want, and you can see what others actually pay for the same car down to your zip code it's pretty incredible then you can lock in guaranteed savings from true car certified dealers in your area on average you'll save over three grand off msrp that's three thousand dollars off manufacturer suggested retail price save time save money and never overpay download the true car app today Look what I've done in my life. I set out to be a rock star. And I became a rock star. I wrote all the music for Twisted Sister, all of the music, everything. I wrote myself. But since then, I've gone into writing, screenplays, television shows, books. I've done acting in movies, television, Broadway. Radio for over 20 years. I have convinced myself that I can do anything I set my mind to. I will not allow myself 
I'm my, I'm my own biggest cheerleader, and you need to be that as well. Don't depend on other people to cheer you on. If you get somebody else to cheer you on, if you get a supporter like I have Suzette, thank God for her or him. But don't depend on people. They are going to try and tell you you can't. They don't want to be reminded that they failed by you succeeding. They don't want to remind, be reminded that they gave up because you have not. Okay? I believe I can do anything I want. And people have commented on all the things that I've done, to which I usually joke, you're lucky I don't want to do what you do because you'd be out of a job. I say that to my lawyers, my agents, my managers, doctors. I firmly believe that if I wanted to be any of these things, I could do it and would do it. I've set no limitations on myself. And the more things I've done, the more things I've succeeded at, the more convinced I'm right. Self-fulfilling prophecy, reinforcing positivity instead of reinforcing negativity. Well, I'm here to tell you, you can. You hear me? You can do more. I told you I believe that everybody is capable of greatness. This is not based on just me saying it. It wasn't based on me making it up to make myself feel better. That's based on observation. Over my life, I have heard from the most surprising places, great ideas. I have, you know, people in all walks of life have made a passing comment or said something and or an idea or a thought or whatever. And I've observed, here's people who have no idea that they are capable of great ideas. They've just said something important. They've just thought of something Great. They just came up with an incredible concept. And I'll tell them. But seeing this consistently over time, over my career, has made me realize that this is that 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 this is the is the reality. Everybody is capable. So I'm tell I want to I want to give you a little pep talk here. That's what this whole thing has been. This has been a pep talk. D's pep talk, because I want you to do more. First thing is you got to lose the fear. Lose the fear that you can't or will fail. Okay? Fear stops us from trying. We limit ourselves with our fear, whether it's self-imposed or imposed by others. We're afraid of trying new things, and so we just don't. All right, now, beyond the fear, is this something you wanted to do, something you wanted to try? Don't talk about it. Do it. Talk is cheap. That's an axiom that's existed since the beginning of time, and it is true. A lot of people flap their gums. All right, now that's, there are people out there who talk about doing things. I'm going to blank. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. But they do nothing about it. I remember um, 
a relative of mine. Um, first time I met her, she, um, because she was married into the family, uh, she had an Oscar medal uh, medallion hanging around her neck. And um, she was young. I said, oh, what's with the Oscar? She says, oh, I'm an actress. I said, oh, really? She says, yes. I said, oh, uh, do, uh, you do uh, local theater? She said, no. I said, um, you uh, audition, go to auditions? No. Do you do any acting at all? No. I read a lot of movie magazines, and I'm going to be discovered. All right. This girl worked in the basement office of an insurance company answering phones. How the hell was she going to be discovered? Yet she looked at me dead serious, believing that this was going to happen. I will tell you this. It will not. It did not. No one's going to find you in the basement with your med- You've got to work at it. All right? Don't talk about it. Do it. Now, one thing you got when you talk about, when you look at it, you go, don't get overwhelmed by your dream. Don't get overwhelmed by what you're, what you're looking to do, looking to achieve. If you look at it as, you know, step back and look at it, yeah, it's going to look mountainous. It's going to look impossible. Where do you start? How do you get there from here? Do not get overwhelmed. Take baby steps. Remember that movie was called uh, something about Bob? Oh, no, what about Bob? What about Bob? Uh, Bill Murray, Richard Dreyfus, very funny movie. Um, Richard Dreyfus was a psychiatrist. Uh, Bill Murray was the uh, patient, and he was completely, um, completely paralyzed with fear of doing anything, leaving his house, anything. It's four o'clock. He lived in fear. Well, uh, and Richard Dreyfus said, "Bob, you got to take baby steps." Don't look at the journey in its entirety. Look at, take one step at a time. Just look at that first step. Then take the second step. Then the third. Eventually, you will be there. But not if you're paralyzed with fear like Bob and afraid to leave the house. So just decide what you want to do. Say, I want to be a rock star. I'm throwing that out there, okay? But I've never done anything musically. I don't play an instrument, and I don't. Uh, I have no developed talent. Well, looking at your dream, it does seem insurmountable. But if you take the baby step of deciding what instrument you want to play and sign up for lessons and then go to those lessons, start learning your instrument, now you started to move in that direction. Once you've learned your instrument, and it may take years, so what? Then you join a band. You know what I'm saying? It's the baby steps. You will be overwhelmed if you look at your dream in its entirety, and you'll be discouraged. Don't be afraid. Don't talk about it. 
Start doing it. Take baby steps. And don't settle. Do not settle for the life we have been. Do not go. What is it? I will not go quietly into the night. Do not go quietly into the life that your heritage, background, upbringing, geographical location, physicality, whatever, do not accept what's been predetermined for you. Don't settle. Remember what Pendulette said about me? <laughs> I'm the opposite of Jim Morrison. Given very little, I have maximized it and made it into something much, much more. All right. So this brings the question, what if I'm wrong? What if you can't? What if you don't? What if you commit? Take those baby steps and you truly commit. And I'm using the rock star thing as an example, but it could be a writer or an actor or, or, or a doctor. I mean, you know, I'm not just talking about, uh, I'm just not talking about, um, uh, you know, uh, entertainment careers. It could be something as small as, uh, not small. I don't want to say small. No, sorry if I said small. But you want to be a train engineer, but you didn't do it. You want to be a helicopter pilot, but you didn't do it. It could be any of those things you've dreamed of, any of those things you wanted to do, Careers you wanted but did not pursue. So what if I'm wrong? So what? So what? On the path of trying to achieve your dreams, you probably learn something, whether it's an instrument or a um, or, or a talent, you developed a talent or s- studied something that g- gave you more, you felt, I'm sh- you will feel energized. You will feel empowered. You will have spent years with a hobby doing something that made you, w- that you wanted to do. When you came home from that crappy job and you were exhausted, you felt you picked up that guitar or you picked, you started writing that book or you started, you know, went to classes and studied cooking because you wanted to be a chef. But you think this is, you are going to enjoy the process. It's something you care about. So now you've spent time doing something that that made you feel good, something that opened your mind, something that energized you, something that informed you, something you wanted to do. And it didn't happen. You didn't become a professional blank. So what? Sid Fields is a, um, a, a screenplay writer, and he has writ the, written the premier book on screenplay writing. And when I started writing screenplays, yes, I've written screenplays. I've sold screenplays. I've written musicals. I've written television shows. Uh, I've only had a couple of things produced. I've written, I've sold a number of things. Um, and other things I have not. Uh, Sid Fields, I've got the name of his book. I think it's on writing, but that may be uh, the Stephen King <laughs> book uh, about being a writer, which is great, by the way, as well. One of the things that Sid says is that it says two things. One is 
upon completing your screenplay, um, that is your screenplay. It will never be your screenplay again because when you sell it, producers and directors and editors and actors, everybody starts to interpret the stuff and they'll have changes they want to make and, you know, and, and improvement. Well, they call them improvements, whatever. But that you, the true satisfaction in writing your story down comes with finishing the screenplay. That is your, that is your screenplay. That is your book. That is your story. And that is the other thing is the feeling of accomplishment that you have when you write the end on whatever amount of pages it is and you close that thing up. I'm here to tell you it is one of the greatest feelings. You said you would and you did. Know this. Few do. 99% of the population say they will and they don't. I'm not just talking about writing. I'm not just talking about rocking. I'm not just talking about athletics or being doctors or lawyers. Whatever it is they say they're going to do, they want to do, they hope to do, they dream to do, they don't. You did. And whether you sell that script or not, you did. And I'm talking from personal experience. When I wrote my first screenplay, it was called Party Incorporated. I had some interest in it. It never sold. But the feeling I had, and doing your first one, which is the toughest because you have to learn how to do it, I felt great. And I wrote another script, which didn't get bought, but I felt great. I had ideas. I wrote them down. I finished it. I was better at it the second time. The third script, I sold. It didn't get produced. It was called Junk Squad. It sold twice. I've got a pile of screenplays and sitcoms. Most have sold. Most have not sold. Some have sold. And only a couple have been produced. But I did it. And the feeling of satisfaction is absolutely, it's incredible. I cannot tell you enough. I cannot share with you enough. I cannot encourage you enough to whatever it is you want to do, head down that path. The process of doing it and just finishing it. A song that you wanted to write. Auditioning for a show. That you may not get the part. You will be empowered. You will be better for. You will be happier for it. You will stop looking back and you will be looking forward at the challenge ahead of you. You tried. You didn't just talk about it. You did it. So if ultimately you don't achieve your dream, ultimately you don't achieve your goal, your goal, I'm telling you from personal experience, the satisfaction is in doing it. You know what I'm saying? The chase is better than the catch? Well, not always. <laughs> not always. But the chase is great. The chase is important. The chase does empower you. So get your positive mental attitude going. Stop talking negatively. Stop reinforcing negative things within you. Stop looking back. Stop regretting. Stop 
I don't care how old you are or young. Stop. Just stop. How you doing? Excellent. How you doing? Awesome. What's going on? Everything. All right. That's Snyder Comments for this week. I just had to share that with you. I hope you cared. Uh, See you next time. Stay tuned for the latest AP News headlines from Podcast One right after this.